Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a podcast about possible and not so possible futures. Every week we take on a specific potential tomorrow and try to really overthink what it might be like. Every episode starts with a trip to the future before we zip back to now to talk to experts about what we just saw and what it would really be like. Got it? Great. This week, let's start in the year 2034. This morning, investigative journalists at ProPublica revealed a report that new global drinking water sanitation pills are having serious health effects. The pills, developed and distributed by the United Nations to help global citizens turn irradiated and contaminated drinking sources into potable water, appear to include a small amount of nanoparticles that target a specific region of the brain called the fusiform gyrus. Right now, scientists and investigators are unsure of exactly what the impact of these nanoparticles might be, and the National Institute of Health has called together an emergency research group to investigate the claims. News chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on and... All right, listen. All right, listen. Okay, have you heard the report? The UN's been giving out these pills for us to put in the water. We put them in the water, right? And now we've been hearing that they might be scrambling our brains or something. Great. Good job out of you guys at the UN. Great. Stick to the light blue uniforms. I can't believe this. Our brains are really important, right? Why are we just hearing about this now? And if that's not enough, they're saying we don't know what this stuff might do to us. They don't know. Please. Please, of course they know. They know. They expect us to believe they don't know. This is the kind of craziness that passes for mainstream in this world. It's bogus. It's amazing that we're all buying this, that we're all swallowing this like the pills they put in the water. Okay. If they don't know, they don't know. Fine. Right. Okay. I got some ideas. All it takes is a little thinking. Think with me here. We can still do that maybe in this society. I hope so because I'm going to lay some theories on you. All right. Because they want to say this is all hunky-dory. Everything's all peachy keen. Here's what they're doing. They're turning off the thinking part of the brain, right? So we could navigate. We're not bumping into lampposts, but we're not thinking. Like memory, we can't synthesize. We still smile, right? We still push all the buttons of the machines, but we don't think. I'm going to give you an example, right? I got a great memory. Ask anyone who knows me. Mike has a really good memory, okay? So I remember everyone. I'm not just talking about the people I see every day, like Joe at the sandwich place and Pete at the front desk, right? If you, if like my cousin brings her boyfriend to Thanksgiving, eight Thanksgivings ago, I'm always like to her, hey, how's Angus? And if I see Angus on the street, I remember that he had double stuffing helpings, okay? Today, I go to the sandwich shop. Joe's not there, right? I look at the guy, but he's got a name tag that says Joe. I guess a lot of Joe's work in a sandwich shop, but it's really weird. And he looks at me, And he doesn't see it's Mike. And he doesn't know that I get my turkey club on rye with Russian dressing every morning. But it is Joe. Like, I hear his voice. We start talking to each other. It's the weirdest thing, right? And now, you know what happens when we can't remember Joe at the sandwich shop? I can't remember Pete at the front desk. You know what happens? We can't remember the corruption. We can't remember the lies. It's the UN's fault, and they got to be stopped, and they're doing this on purpose. Anyway, let's go to the phones. If you've had anything weird happen to you, if you think you know about all this UN funny business, give us a call, 978-080. As always, 978-080-5237. 
Scientists called an emergency press conference today to announce an update in their findings regarding the possible side effects of the UN water cleansing pills. We take you now live to Washington, D.C. Thank you for coming today. After an independent review of the nanoparticles in the widely circulated cleanse pills, our team of researchers has come to some important conclusions. The first is that these pills carry no risk of illness or death. Any reports of poisoning or death from these pills are unfounded. What we did find, however, was that 100% of people who have consumed water created by these pills, and we estimate that 95% of the global population falls into this category, have developed a condition called prosopagnosia, a disorder characterized by the inability to recognize faces. This is a condition that was formerly rare, affecting about 2% of the population. Today, however, and over the course of the next few months, as the nanoparticles persist in our water supply, the condition will become nearly universal. We are still investigating other possible impacts from these nanoparticles. The National Institutes of Health will continue to fund this emergency research group to learn more about other possible effects. Thank you. I will now take questions. Okay, so in this future, the entire world goes face-blind, unable to recognize who people are by their face. The official name for this condition is prosopagnosia, and it's a real thing that some people do have, and it comes in varying degrees of severity. Some people have a hard time with acquaintances. Other people struggle to recognize their own family members, and sometimes even themselves. Well, for us, that's, that's usually that's what makes us sit up, right? If, if you're really having trouble with close relatives or yourself, well, I, was almost, I hope it's not incorrect to say funniest, but it does kind of sound kind of, they laugh at it themselves too, is when they have these experiences where they don't realize they're looking in a mirror. I mean, how freaky, freaky is that, right? That's Jason Barton, a neurologist and researcher at the University of British Columbia who treats and studies people with face blindness. Face blindness can happen for a lot of different reasons. Some people are born with it, and others acquire the trouble after a stroke, infection, tumor, or other kind of brain injury. Or, in our future, targeted nanoparticles. But that's never happened before, and probably won't ever happen. Now, there's no one single area for facial recognition in the brain. There are lots of different networks and pieces involved, so you can't just cut out the face-seeing parts. But that also means that for some people, whatever has messed up the brain's ability to detect faces can also mess up other stuff too. In other words, in a world where we're all face-blind, we might struggle with other face-related processing as well. Like, uh, can they recognize if someone's sad or happy or tell how old they are, um, what gender they are, stuff like that. So in this future, depending on how these nanoparticles work, we might not simply struggle to recognize each other, but we might also have trouble telling how old people are or whether they're happy or sad. That complicates things a lot. So for our purposes, let's stick with just the facial recognition stuff for now. And I figured the best way to know what a world full of face-blind people might be like is to talk to some people who are actually face-blind. I had no idea, actually, that most people didn't recognize people the, the, or, or didn't have the trouble I did with recognizing people. And that most people didn't, say, worry about recognizing their parents after not seeing them for a while. You know, that kind of stuff. I thought that was totally normal and that I was just like a little bad at faces. You know, I knew I was bad at faces, but I didn't think I was abnormally bad, I guess. That's Lisa Huang, a science fiction writer. And this is Jay Bardhan, a mechanical engineering professor at Northeastern University. Uh, I was uh, a postdoc, so I guess I was 27 or 28. Um, and as 
part of uh, starting the job, I just went and got a, a sort of a overall psychological profile done uh, on a couple of aspects for ADD. And then the doc called me back a week later and he was like, can we do another couple of batteries? And I was like, sure. And he told me that like the reason he called me back was that my results were so weird uh, in this one area that he was like, there must have, I must have recorded it wrong. At that point, uh, when he got the full diagnosis, he said, well, this is actually like a condition. It was a revelation um, because I had known for a long time that something was a little off. It's kind of interesting sort of being able to put a name to it now and, and knowing that I've got this going on. Makes it, everything makes a lot more sense now. Lisa and Jay struggle with faces to varying degrees and in different ways. But talking to them, I got a good sense for what things might be like without the ability to recognize people by their face. I, I do aerial circus and my aerial partner, you know, we twice a week we'd be like dangling each other from the ceiling, you know, 20 feet up in the air. And then we went to a play together um, with, you know, a big group of friends and he was wearing, you know, khakis and a button down instead of his gym clothes, completely could not recognize him. And it was, you know, very embarrassing and, you know, a little bit awkward because I'm like, okay, I've known you for years now and you, you know, you hold me 20 feet in the air every week and I, I didn't recognize you in different clothes. There's that moment in every police or detective sort of drama where there's a sketch artist brought in and like, I never can tell what who that person is. And it's like in the real world, like in a show, there are only like 15 people, right? So everyone else knows who is the, who is the person being sketched. And I have literally no idea. Just, they all look like, you know, high school art, you know, charcoal drawings to me. I have no idea. There are some obvious things that would get pretty complicated if we couldn't recognize faces. Things like police lineups, doormen and security guards, cocktail parties. Other things might get easier, like spying or disguising yourself. Literally, the, the mustache and fake glasses like the Groucho Marx costume suffices for everyone. But in talking to Lisa and Jay, I also learned about some things that were less obvious, to me at least. Like, they both talked a lot about how they struggle to watch movies and TV. Um, I, you know the movie Heat, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, sort of good cop, bad guy, the whole thing? Uh, I went uh, to see that in theaters, and like halfway through the movie, I asked my friends, "Hey, are they are they dressing up as each other? Is there some weird like disguise thing going on?" And they looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, and now that I got the diagnosis, I, I understand it was crazy because no one else thinks that they are interchangeable people. They don't look alike. You know, Hollywood just really likes to cast a lot of the same looking person a lot of times. Like they'll cast sort of all of the same white guy with the same face sometimes. So like a movie like Ocean's Eleven, completely lost. <laughs> I, I, did, I did not even realize when I watched that movie that I was supposed to be able to tell them apart. I was like, oh, this must be just one of those movies where you kind of can't tell everybody apart. Did not realize that this was like a thing. Any sort of military movie. Who is you know, Channing Tatum versus Ryan Gosling? I, I don't know. So in a world where we're all face blind, TV shows and movies are going to have to cast more diverse actors if they want anyone to be able to follow their plot lines. Which, hey, that's a good thing. Now, people with face blindness can tell people apart. They simply don't use faces to do so. Which means that in a world of face blind people, clothing and hair choices might become even more important because that's how people tell each other apart. Yes, absolutely. And I, as a teacher, uh, that's something that I particularly appreciate. I, I appreciate it enormously when students, you know, express themselves in some way where I can immediately sort of like tag like, okay, she has that, you know, hair or four earrings or whatever it is. It's really uh, 
because then I can remember it and that improves, you know, sort of the the working working relationship. But that also means that people would have to keep their styles the same because changing them drastically is essentially like getting major plastic surgery to change your face. You could confuse everybody. Like if I have, uh, you know, a girlfriend who, say, you know, cuts and dyes her hair between one week and the next, I probably just will not recognize her even if I've known her for, you know, months and months. Um, Or if, you know, somebody usually wears a beard and they shave the beard off, (laughs) you know, stuff like that can really throw me. I propose that we all get face tattoos. Yeah, yeah, you, you can imagine that might be something because that would be something that would be hard to eliminate, right? Maybe we get barcodes on our foreheads. And this brings us to some of the tech-based solutions that we might see in this world. Google Glass might find an audience when we all need help recognizing each other. Maybe everybody wears a GoPro. You know, otherwise you're, you're not necessarily going to know who people are. It's uh, like, a, like a big data form of a memento. Like every day you, you sort of log in, you're like, these are the people I met. And then we have augmentation so that when you meet new people, you get a little, uh, a little display that says, that's Bill. You, met, you saw him yesterday afternoon. He works with you. Now, this kind of stuff pretty quickly veers into a kind of dystopia surveillance land. But Lisa has a lower tech solution. Um, I also would suspect that, like, name tags might become a little bit more of a thing because I, I have a good friend who's face blind and then um, a couple of friends online and my mom and my sisters, we talk about this stuff a lot. And we're always mourning, you know, not having more people wearing name tags. Or what if we simply didn't use faces at all? What if we use something else, like hands? I mean, think about what, is, what a cocktail party might look like if it's all about hands instead of faces. Maybe we would talk with our hands way more. <laughs> I don't know. Would there be a whole new set of etiquette around hands as opposed to faces? Uh, maybe covering your hands would be seen as rude, wearing a glove, right? That would be seen as like being going to rob a bank. You know, what would, uh, what would the makeup industry, would it shift to, to, to stuff our hands as opposed to faces? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, think about the way we use faces in, our, in the way we talk, like to say something like, you know, on the face of it. So we just start saying on the hand of it now, facing up to something. Interesting. I like that a lot, actually, because like if, if I think about handshakes, right, like handshakes are pretty individual or holding hands up or high fiving or what have you, like gestural. You ever do that as part of an icebreaker? Kind of everybody introduces them. Hi, I'm Jay. And you like, you know, raise your hands over your head. And then everyone says, hi, Jay. And they raise their hands over their head. It would be an interesting way to start, you know, I'm I'm imagining like the uppermost levels of government and everyone's doing this just to remind themselves who's on the cabinet, you know. Okay, so maybe we don't go with hands because that sounds kind of hard. But this brings us to another question. Would we have to go with anything at all? Do we need to substitute faces? Lisa hopes that we might just all kind of stop caring about whether we recognize each other or not. I, I, you know, after you told me this idea of this, you know, imaginary future, it actually sounds very, uh, you know, just kind of relaxing to me to the, the idea of not being expected to remember anybody. But Barton thinks that human to human recognition is too important to give up. We use it all the time, in almost every situation. We have a whole network in the brain dedicated to being able to recognize someone we know. You know, social communication isn't only about knowing whether the person in front of you is happy or sad or angry. It's also knowing who it is and what kind of things are going like, to be likely to make them sad or happy or angry. You know, don't talk about such such with so-and-so, right? 
or so-and-so knows about this. I don't need to give them the big explanation. But no matter how we did it, Lisa says, of all the possible futures out there, this one wouldn't be so bad. Do you have any tips for us, for those of us who are going to be <laughs> newly baseline? How, how, what advice would you give to me? Um, I guess my biggest advice is that it's, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's, I, I talk about it being stressful and I talk about having anxiety from it and watching movies is harder and stuff like that. But, you know, all in all, like, it's pretty far down the list of things that, you know, actually cause, like, real problems for me. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it absolutely doesn't interfere with my ability to, like, have relationships with people and, you know, any, you know, close friendships and interact socially and anything like that. So, I mean, I would just say it's, it's not going to be that bad. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. face blindness, including links to a few tests that you can take yourself to see how good or bad you are with faces, head to Boing Boing, where I'll put some more links and additional information. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Evelith, and is part of the Boing Boing podcast family. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Broke for Free. The music for your Drive Time Radio host was by The Zombie Dandies, and the voice of your Drive Time Radio host was Mike Pesca, who is also the host of the not-fictional Daily Slate podcast, The Gist. You should check it out. The voice of our trusty scientist was Bethany Brookshire. You can follow her on Twitter at SciCurious. And the voice of our lovely public radio reporter was Tamara Krinsky. You can find her acting, writing, and science adventures on Twitter, where she's at Tamara Krinsky. If you want to suggest a future we should take on, send us a note. We're on Twitter at FFWDPod. We're also on Facebook. Or you can send us an email at info at flashforwardpod.com. We love hearing your ideas, so send them on over. This week's future was actually suggested by listener Charlie Lloyd. Thank you, Charlie. And if you want to support the show, there are a few ways you can do that, too. We have a Patreon page where you can donate. But if that's not in the cards for you, you can head to iTunes and leave us a nice review or just tell your friends about us. Those things really do help. That's all for this future. Come back next week and we'll travel to a new one. <laughs>